Hello, and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry, and we also provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Melissa Collier-Getford, and on today's episode, we have a very special guest with us. We have Miss Anna Skates. Anna is an advocate for children and families. She's a content creator, an author and illustrator from Tennessee, and she's also a former progressive children's pastor. Anna now serves as the founder and creator of Otterly, a company dedicated to the social social and emotional well-being of children. And I love Otterly so much. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes. Well, I'm so glad that we found each other on the internet um, just a couple, just a year ago. Um, you, Your resources through the subscription box have been so amazing for my family. My two-year-old Finn's almost three now, and he's, he just loves your subscription box. So thank you for all the work that you do. Oh, I'm so um, glad. So, so tell me, Anna, you, so you are a child advocate and you serve in all of these different ways with creating content. Tell us how, how did you get to this point in your life? What's your life story? (laughs) Well, um, so growing up, taking care of kids in a lot of different capacities, I've worked with kids most of my life. So from volunteering with children's programs at church to, um, working at summer camps to working at preschools, nannying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It mm-hmm. goes on and on. So I've spent a lot of my life's work with kids in general. And then, um, and then I truly a job, the job of children's pastor landed in my lap one day. Um, what, what is it now? Like six years ago, maybe, um, I was volunteer. I'd started going to this progressive Christian church here, uh, in Nashville. And I was volunteering in the nursery or in the toddler room because I love toddlers. And one day after service, I was hanging around talking to everybody and the founding pastor came up to me and said, Hey, we're hiring an assistant children's pastor. And I think you should apply for the job. That's how it happened. And I, and I did, and it was a very rigorous and thorough process, which I now in hindsight can can deeply appreciate, but, um, and that, that is honestly, that was the starting point to me getting where I am today. I was on a path of like maybe becoming a librarian or some, I was sort of like lost and sort of wandering around trying to figure out what it was I was going to do. And I think that that moment of someone seeing my capacity and seeing I, I don't know what he saw, honestly. I don't know what he had observed that led him to say, like, you should do this. But but I think that moment of somebody seeing something in me in this particular genre, or this, this particular avenue of work was really a powerful moment for me that changed everything. So I worked for four and a half years in that position, eventually becoming the, the lead children's pastor in that program. And I ended up writing curriculum the last two years that I was there. And that is what shifted me specifically on the path of like respectful parenting and learning more about parenting styles um, and methodologies, because what I was seeing in, and you'll know this from being someone who resources children's programs in the church, what I was seeing was that so much of the, the curriculum and the resources that were, you know, boxed up by these big production companies and, and 
resourced out to churches were just so ineffective ultimately. Like Mm. we were taking these really, really complex ancient stories and dumbing them down to the point where they, they ultimately end up losing like their historical significance and meaning. Yeah. Because we think we have to tell these kids these stories. And then we just slap some glitter and songs and activities on it and call it a kid's lesson. And I was like, wait a second, what are we doing? Like, this is so bad. So bad. We're not using the best resources at our disposal to help these children discover and learn and love these concepts that, that we've come to learn and love. And, and, uh, and so I then started, I started by just writing an advent module of lessons because that was something we had always talked about doing in that program. And so I finally just did it and loved it and also realized how difficult it is to distill these huge concepts down to children in a way that is, that is still meaningful and that is still honest and true. Right. Um, but that leaves space for questions and wondering and different ways of thinking about things. And anyway, so, so yeah, I, I started writing curriculum and that sort of, as I did that, and as I discovered sort of these shortcomings of, of all the other things available, I then started noticing shortcomings everywhere when it comes to how we care for kids in this world. Um, I remember having a, a, a big conversation with a friend of mine who helped with operations at this big develop, this new development in Nashville, like a live work kind of development thing. And, um, and I remember talking to her about, um, about accessibility in bathrooms for children and how there is none. None. Like most bathrooms, there's not a step stool or any way for children to wash their own hands. The toilets are too high. They're not able to like assist themselves. Like nothing is set up to help promote the, the independence and capabilities of children and, and to teach them that they can take care of themselves that they have everything in them to learn how to, how to wash their hands and how to go to the bathroom on their own, you know, all these things. Um, and I remember telling her that, and she was like, we don't have step stools here. Like, this is crazy. She like immediately emailed her supervisor and got clearance to order step stools for like every single bathroom on the premises. And she was like, we can't rebuild the toilets, but we can get step stools. So, right. Anyway. So, so advocacy kind of started to take a lot of different forms for me. Um, and that, that's a title I gave myself, but, but yeah, I got, I got here through that church job and writing that curriculum and seeing the disparities in resources there. Um, but when I left that job, I didn't know really where to go from there. I tried a few things that didn't quite work. And, and then I saw the, won't you be my neighbor documentary about Fred Rogers that came out a few years ago. And that's when I knew what I was supposed to do. Like, I felt like I was watching my life play out in a different body in a different time. Like it was the wild, sobbed through the whole movie. And I just remember like leaving and walking so slowly to my car, partly just because that's so much of what Fred invited people into is this slower, Mm -hmm. more um, mindful kind of space. But um but I, I just remember thinking, I've never heard anyone 
say these things in the way that I feel like I've always said them and nobody understood. Like I've said these things for years. Some of the things that he said in the film were things I had said verbatim in my work in the church. And I didn't feel like anybody ever understood that. Mm -hmm. Nobody understood how significant it was to see kids as people, as human beings. And then I see this man, you know, saying all these things. And of course I knew Fred Rogers from the show. I, I kind of watched it growing up, but not religiously by any means. And um, so just seeing everything that there was, all the depth behind his work, um, I just, I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I was somehow supposed to carry on this legacy as mm-hmm. wild and insane as that sounds. Um, that's just what I, I still feel that like in my bones, I can feel that. And, uh, yeah. And that has led me down a, a very interesting journey, <laughs> but that that's how those, those two moments getting that job and, and writing that curriculum, going through that process and then seeing that documentary. Um, those are the two things that I think were completely pivotal and changed my entire life, honestly, and led to this, to this moment. Yeah. That's so good. I love that. I think it's so important to, I mean, this isn't the topic, but, you know, having folks in your life, even, and especially at a young age, naming Mm -hmm. the gifts and naming, Mm -hmm. you know, this, you're really good at this. Mm -hmm. Let's empower you. And I think like, it's so meaningful for you as an adult. Think about like, I just imagine a world where we can be that, where, where that can be like, the norm for children too, where we name gifts and say, I see this in you. Let's put you in a place where you can experiment and play and learn and try and fail and learn from that. And like, this is the supportive space for you. Um, Like I dream of communities where that's the norm and it starts with just naming like, Hey, you're really good at this. Yeah. I dream of an education system that operates that way. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Which we could go on a whole tangent about that, but. We hope that you're enjoying this episode of The Caring Congregation. Be sure to check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for information on our books and additional resources. Also, if you've missed any of the podcasts, you can go back and listen to them on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. We hope that you find this helpful and informative. Be sure to share this podcast. And now, back to our episode. Yeah. I mean, I, I so wish we had a system set up the way you're talking about, like where we truly see these children as people Mm -hmm. see their gifts, their, their tendencies, their desires, their dreams, their goals, and help them toward those things. Instead of you have to learn these five subjects and you have to pass every single one and failure is not an option, right? Right. Like questioning how we do this is not an option. And It just, it doesn't set them up to be successful humans in the way that it could if if we just had even some of the slightest shifts, I feel like could be really groundbreaking. But anyway, that's a whole other tangent. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you mentioned the slightest shifts. I'm curious, mm-hmm. what kinds of shifts would you, would you implement right away if you could? Well, I, I, I would love to see some, I think they get, I think kids get an interesting level of social education in schools just by the nature of it being a school and being around other people, they're having to mm-hmm. learn how to navigate different social situations. But I think I, I would love to see 
just just uh, just a slight shift of focus from so heavily on academic performance and and a little more emotional education integrated in it doesn't yes. have to take over but just just some sort of balance there and I, I mean i think every i think that the 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 spirit of a school can completely shift i think that the teachers could have a better experience in their classrooms if that were the case you know if there if there were tools at everyone's disposal the kids included to manage their big feelings as they're going because they're having life experiences outside of school that they are necessarily bringing into it and absolutely and to help them manage that while they're there give them tools to learn how to how to deal with those things uh, or deal with those feelings around those experiences could just completely change the entire atmosphere of an educational space. I, I don't know, but. I think you're so right. And it's so interesting because, so like when you think about the church space and this Sunday school model, it's kind mm-hmm. of modeled off of the school system, Absolutely. right? Like yep. we expect these kids to, to sit down for an hour. Why do we ask them to sit when they have to sit yep. five days out of the week at school? They should be running around the church. They should be playing, you know? So 100%. what does it look like for us to reimagine mm-hmm. even that model? I mean, yeah. Sunday school developed out of a very specific articulated need. Children did not know how to read because they had to work in factories mm-hmm all of the day, all of the week. Mm-hmm. And Sunday was their one day off. So they mm-hmm. taught, they, they taught a very, they churches met a specific need of teaching their kids how to read. So like if kids are getting that in school, what's the need now? Right. right? Like right. social and emotional <laughs> development. Yeah. Com- connection play. Yeah. Um, those types of needs are the needs that need to be met now. And yep. It makes me wonder, like, what what is this next model going to even look mm. like? You know, I mean, yeah, I'd be really interesting to know in churches specifically what that could look like. I mean, I know for us, um, when I started writing curriculum, I just started writing the lessons shorter and shorter, and mm-hmm. I ended up using a lot of children's literature and a lot mm. less Bible stories yeah. um, to teach the same concepts, just in a way that was developmentally appropriate for them yeah. with, with stories that were literally built for them, which right. stories are not. So, right. so um, but yeah, just, I kept building it, it shorter and shorter and also just reconsidering. I mean, a lot of it for us was reconsidering how we talked about these concepts and, and it, what was, what was really cool is that, when we allowed ourselves to reconsider, we got to play and right. be imaginative. We got to sort of re-enter that childlike world for ourselves and sort of join them in that work and join them in the wondering about how do we talk about big concepts like God or love yeah. or compassion yeah. or family? Like um, it was just, it, it was a really beautiful experience, honestly. And it, I think if, if we can allow ourselves I think so much of at least how I grew up, I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. So like there were no questions asked ever. You, right. That was not a thing. Um, I do feel like the Methodist church does a much better job of that. Of that. <laughs> there are other denominations that do a great job of that. But um, I think once we allow ourselves to start asking those questions and just wonder, not critically question, even just wonder about mm-hmm. things. Um, 
just so many other possibilities open up and so many other needs can be met because there's Mm -hmm. space for them. Right. Right. So one thing that I mentioned earlier before we started recording is, you know, this podcast is connected to the Caring Congregation Mm -hmm. book uh, that Reverend Karen Lampy and I wrote together. Um, And we, we address certain specific needs and ways that congregational care ministers can care for um, specific issues. So Mm -hmm. for example, um, we're caring for a woman who is going through a divorce, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we don't do, what we haven't touched is, Mm -hmm. so how do we care for the kids that are caught in the crossfire? And so, um, Anna, could you just take some time thinking with me, helping me like wrap my mind around, like, what are the kinds of challenges that kids today face? (laughs) I see your face, right? That's huge. But like, so like, we're pretty good at naming what we face, right? As, as challenges, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the challenges uh, that kids experience that they face through their lens? Mm. Well, I, so a lot of a lot of children exist in a world where they do not have very many choices at all. Mm. There's not a lot of agency given to kids for the most part. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, so so that ends up bringing up challenges in a lot of different scenarios, right? Like um, for some kids, going to school is really, really difficult. And that's a big challenge for them. How do you care for them in that? Some kids are going through major life shifts like divorces. That's a whole different ball game in some ways. In some ways, it's it still comes back to my whole world is crashing down around me and I don't have any control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, other kids are... Um, undergoing medical procedures. And that's really, really scary. And, and so I, I think in general, to see children as people and to understand a, a phrase that I like to use a lot is um, like, let's say we're talking about a, a five-year-old who's freaking out about going to school. And everybody's like, what's the big deal? This is going to be so fun. And you get to go hang out with your friends and all these things. But this child has only been here for five Augusts. This kid has only experienced five Augusts in his entire life. You've experienced 37 or whatever it is. So to, to shift and say like, oh, they have, they just have no experience with this. And of course this is scary. Like they have no idea what they're even walking into. And I signed them up for it and didn't tell them I was doing it. You know, like, yeah, I think just for everyone, families and, and care ministers included to take, to take a big deep breath and to understand that these children are brand new people to this world and they are having so many of these experiences for the very first time. And that's a big deal. Even when it doesn't seem like it to us because we've experienced it 37 times, it's a big deal to experience something for the first time and to, and to consider all the elements involved in that, but also to consider the primary fact of this is a kid who in most scenarios has no control and this feels so scary and out of control. So like a child going through divorce, that is it for some kids terror for some kids. It's a relief because oh, finally the tension has gone out of the house or whatever. But Mm -hmm. for some kids and for most kids, I would say 
That's a terrifying situation to be in. Everything about their world, and especially the younger they are, their whole world is that nuclear family. Yeah, like That's all they care. That is their highest value is the nuclear family. And so when that changes, that's terrifying. The thing they value the most is breaking apart or is out of control or is not the way that it usually is. Mm-hmm. Um, stability, consistency, those are really important things for kids to feel safe. And when those things start to dissolve in any way, shape, or form, that becomes really, really scary for a child. Um, the world is big and kids are small and things are scary. <laughs> and, um, and maybe that's the biggest the biggest thing to remember. And then to ask, like, how would I comfort a friend if they were scared? Hmm. How would I comfort a friend if they were scared? And I, I made a reel about this on Instagram that, has, that keeps, like, going around and around. I keep... I keep getting notifications about this one reel. I've seen it. Yeah, where I said, how would I respond if this was my best friend? And there are some people who really hate that concept, it turns out. Uh, But it was was a perspective shift for me because in moments of like a meltdown, like let's say a kid has a meltdown in the middle of Target, instead of the, the, certainly what would have been a response for me as a kid of, you know, you are embarrassing me. Stop it right now. Look around you. Nobody else is doing this. Nobody else Mm -hmm. is having a fit. You're not getting anything today. Like instead of that panic moment, which comes out of fear for the adult, right? Fear for judgment and perception and all those things. Instead of that, reframing it to say like, my best friend just started bursting into tears in the middle of Target. What, what, are you okay? Holy, okay. Okay. I'll sit down with you. Like, let's just, let's just deep breath. Do you need to go outside? Like, it's a completely different response. And one is one is out of your own triggers and one is out of just being able to be present, being able to put your own stuff aside and being able to be present for another person. Mm. And it's it was a major shift, but but in care ministry too, like how would I respond if my if this was a friend who was terrified of something happening in their life, even if I don't see it as terrifying? How do I help them? Yeah. Um that, that's so good. And, and it, and it really kind of goes hand in hand with this both paradigm shifting and also so, so simple concept that you bring up mm-hmm. that like they're humans, mm-hmm. right? They Like children are <laughs> humans fully as they are now, right? Like not future humans, right? Yeah. When they get to be 18 or 26, when their brain develops or whatever, but like fully developmentally where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. now as a human mm-hmm. And then how would I treat, how, how should I treat a human? Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) it's just so simple. And it makes Mm -hmm. me think of like, especially with COVID, right. We, we keep hearing cause I, cause I have very, very specific feelings about how children have become the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. we're we're literally sacrificing our children Mm -hmm. right now. Um, and other people, but Mm -hmm. like we, we hear all the time, children are resilient and it feels like a cop out. It is a cop out. (laughs) Children resilience is built by having support while going through a difficult time, not going through a difficult time and being told to suck it up. That's not how resilience is built. Resilience is built. Yeah. Resilience is not built in difficult times. Resilience is built by having support in difficult times. Yeah. By by knowing that I am, I am able to be supported and I can be supported. I deserve to be supported and I can support myself through this difficult time. Mm. That's what resilience is. Not like I can, I guess, just like deal with this difficult time. Like I'll just suck it up and figure it out later. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, it's not being thrown to the wolves. That's not what Bill <laughs> builds resilient. You'll bounce back. Oh, right, right. With a lot of trauma, but it's fine, you know. Right. It's fine because it was fine for me because I turned out okay. Mm-hmm. That's another one of these little myths, right? That I that I'm like as a parent really kind of learning now is is like just because this was how I was parented yeah. and I turned out okay. Yeah. By the way, for those of you who are listening, there are air quotes. There's mm-hmm. a lot there. My therapist knows, right? Mm-hmm. But like that that whole like, oh, well, I had it like this, so mm-hmm. and I turned out fine, so we shouldn't change anything is just like so it's an expedient and easy. I mean, we go to what's familiar as yeah. human beings. And so it makes complete and total sense that that's, it's the, it is sadly the easy way out, you know, to just do what, you know, mm-hmm. instead of learning a different way that takes a lot of work and it is frustrating and it is a struggle most days to parent, to, especially to parent differently than, than you were parented because the way you were parented is ingrained in your brain because you were parented from an early age that way. What right. happens at an early age matters deeply. How you are treated as a person at an early age matters deeply <laughs> because it will inform so much of how you live your life out. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I do, I understand that sentiment, but at the same time, you know, no one wants to be no one wants to be yelled at in public. No one wants to be forgotten. No one wants to be told what to do every second of every day. No one wants to be given no choices. You know, yeah. no one wants to live like that. You don't want to live like that. So no one wants to be shut up at church. No, no one wants to be told stop running. No one wants to be said you can't color on this. No one wants to be said. Well, you and know. I learned. So one thing to that point, I there were. I've had two experiences around that specifically that were really interesting to be part of, to, to cultivate and then to observe. So I, I preached a sermon at that church where I served. Um, and I, I talked about kids and their humanity and the connection of all of us. And, and I insisted on it being a multi-generational service, which is not something that we had ever done at that church Mm. ever. And, I insisted on, I said, nope, we are going to have the kids in, we'll have, we'll have the nursery workers there in case there's just someone who really does need that break and needs to be in there. But, but the encouragement is for all the kids to be in the sanctuary with all the rest of us. And it is going to be loud and messy and nothing is going to go the way that you think it's going to go. And y'all just need to suck it up. We're going to do this and we're going to try it. And it was, it was a complete mess and it was so, so chaotic. And, and most, there were a lot of people who either did not show up that day because they knew what was coming or they hated it when they got there. (laughs) Um, I loved it. Uh, The three kids ended up like wandering up on the stage while I'm talking and they just, you know, we got them kind of settled up there and I just kept going and talked to them and talked to them and talked to and, um, and you know, I had, I had little fidgets and coloring pages and and things for them to do Mm -hmm. uh, just because it was a different environment. But, um, but we never did it again. Never right. did it again. Right. And, and then when I left that job, that position, I started, uh, I co-founded a nonprofit, um, with another friend of mine who was also at that church. And the goal was to build a multi-generational spiritual community. And 
that didn't end up happening either. Like it ended up falling right into the same model of kids go over here, go away. And the adults are going to do the real work of spirituality and building up our whatever. And, and so I, I walked away from, from that too. Cause I, I just realized like, this is not, no one is prepared for this. And, and I can't lead, I can't lead that part by myself. I can't do that part by myself. I don't know how to do that by myself, but anyway, I'm realizing that it's, it's, it is a huge shift primarily for the adults mm-hmm. to have kids around. The kids are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're cool to be there. They love being part of the of big church, you know, whatever. Um, but for, and I think that it's triggering for adults because they were the ones that were shushed and put into a corner and shoved right. into another room. And it's so triggering for them to see kids running around and crying or laughing or talking during the service. Like, that's a triggering thing for people. Now I also realized that adults need their sacred space that is peaceful and just for them. And kids need their own sacred space that is just for them. And that's, that was a hard lesson for me to learn because I was pushing so hard for kids to be part of things. And I got feedback from a couple of older kids that said, no, I mean like, that's cool. I'm cool to be in there, but it is, I'd kind of rather just be with my friends like over in a different classroom or whatever. And, and that was, that was a check for me. I had to remember Mm -hmm. like, Oh, right. Preteens and teens only care about their peers. Like that is their highest value. So how do I meet that need? How do I serve Mm -hmm. them best? Oh, I put them with their peers. And uh, so it was, so I'm still learning too in this whole process. It you get caught up in the advocacy piece of it, and and sometimes you forget who you're working for. You know who you're doing this for. That's so good, and I and I'm so I'm so grateful that you named a place where you feel like you kind of got it wrong, and you were yeah. willing to listen to mm-hmm. the people for whom you are advocating. Right? I mean, I think it's so often. I've been I've been using this term a lot lately. Like, are we doing kids and youth ministry? Are are we doing ministry with and for kids and youth, mm-hmm. or are we doing it to them? Uh-huh. And yeah. and it feels like sometimes our our good intentions are well, we they exist to fill our need to have this program, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of our programming and our ministries exist to support them and their development and their well-being. And so what can grown-ups do to support the children in their lives? Oh, okay, that's a good question. I would say if you don't already have this perspective, shift to a perspective of this child is a person. And you may think that you have that perspective already, but as you start to recognize it and settle into that, you may realize that it's a little more foreign than you think <laughs> that this part, that this child is a person that they've only been here for X number of pick a month. Um, <laughs> and just stay, stay curious about, especially their behaviors, um, When you stay curious, you're able to ask questions. You're able to see things that you weren't able to see before because you thought you had the answers and you didn't need that. Be curious and ask questions. Mm. Um, When we stay curious about other people and especially about children, we 
we'll start to see that they are communicating so much more often than we think that they are. And it's usually not with their words. <laughs> they're communicating with their, with their body language. They're communicating with their behaviors. They're communicating with their big feelings and big outbursts. Start to be curious about this person in front of you that's only been here for five Augusts and start to look around to see how, what is it that may be causing this? What, what is it, uh, what's happening in their life? What's new, what's different for them that may be causing this moment of struggle or, or fear or whatever it is? And then how can I help them to feel safe? Hmm. How can I help them to feel safe? Which is usually just acknowledging that they feel the way that they feel and saying it's okay to feel that way. Usually don't have to fix anything for a kid for them to feel safe. You just have to be there. Hmm. So to stay present to them, stay curious, remember that they're a person. That's so good. I love that. It 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 is it is easy to remember in a time when the the two and a half year old is throwing a tantrum, right? Yeah, like right. I mean it's harder to implement and it's also so hard. It, it is, those principles are so simple. And mm -hmm. I mean, I can, I can like get that, I can tattoo that on my arm if I needed yeah. to, right? It's so short and so simple and, and it's so helpful. And I have learned so much from your work and um, just know that like you are carrying on Fred Rogers legacy <laughs> and the way that you are communicating mm -hmm. to um, adults and how we can support our littles and the kids in our lives. And you are just, you, you are doing the good hard work. And I thank you so much for, for all of the resources that you've created in ways that you have supported me and my little family. You don't even know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have learned so much from you. And so thank you so much for your thank work. You. Thank you for saying that. That's really, really kind. And I appreciate yeah. what you're doing because having been in the church world, we need people like you who are seeing kids as people to help provide resources and care for them. It's, it's such a huge need. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, Anna, how can people um, get connected to you and with your work and learn more about your about um, all of the resources and content that you offer? Yeah, so if you are a parent looking for parenting kinds of things, tips, tricks, ideas, thoughts. Um, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. It's at Anna underscore skates. And yes, that is my legal and very real birth name. Um, <laughs> you can reach me via email at hello at annaskates.co, C-O. And then my kid company, Otterly, has, I have a ton of resources there, free resources, coloring pages, anti-racism resources, all the things. Um, as well as a cute little Instagram account, products, subscription boxes, all sorts of things there. And that is, uh, the website is otter.ly. So it spells otterly, but it's .ly instead of .com. And on Instagram at otter.ly as well. Oh my gosh. I love all of your resources. Thank you, Thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I'm so glad that we could connect. And someday when I'm in Nashville, I'll, uh, I'll look you up and we'll yes. get together. Please do. I'd love to see you. Thanks, Anna. Yeah.
Thanks for joining us today for this week's episode. We hope that you'll tune in next Tuesday morning for a brand new episode as we continue to dive deeper into care with children and their caregivers. Be sure to check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.